0: Seven four Tango Whiskey for twenty six for three thousand, one four zero uh, on heading.
1: everybody welcome to frequent flyer here it is friday december 16 2022 here and uh well we got more flyers hockey to talk about <laughs> just, uh, here we go again uh we're at what the 31 game mark uh, of the season which oh, god we're not even halfway there yet mike
2: Uh, it's uh it's it's painful to watch really i mean we've we've seen some tighter games but you know what else what else can you really say about this about this this motley crew of a roster that we have
1: it it's it's funny because it's the same thing essentially the takeaway for most of these games it's all very similar which is they play well but there's just no talent and they lose games because of it it's the same consistent story and you know tortorella's done a very good job doing what he's doing but the fact that he had to tear this team down to the absolute basics of hockey 101 that you learn when you're 3 years old you know is real kind of delaying the overall progress here but you know they're laying a solid foundation and you know they've games like last night where Carter Hart stole them the win essentially and that's how they're picking up any wins at all these days is Carter Hart but yeah it's been the same story win or lose they play hard there's just no talent and and it's just the consistent storyline of the season thus far
2: Yeah, they've been they've been weird watches to me because, you know, in comparison to the last couple of years, we saw so many different blowouts of Flyers to get down by two or three goals in the first period. And then this Herculean effort to come back throughout the rest of the game to maybe tie it to get to overtime. And that's kind of how that story unfolded. And then now we're seeing the games are pretty tight. You know, if you look through the last four straight games here, the Flyers have been in one goal games in every single one of them. Um, including, obviously, the game last night against New Jersey, where they clearly should have lost that. They were hemmed in their own zone the entire game. But due to uh, an incredible effort by Carter Hart, they were able to stick through it and win 2-1. I have no idea how that happened. I've seen I saw so much offense in that game. I can't believe there weren't more goals. But um, it's a it's a weird thing to watch because at some point, you know, that kind of train has to stop. How many times in a row can this team play one goal games, whether they win or lose? That style of play is just is just very strange. Have you seen other teams do that very often?
1: Not in this sense, no. <laughs> it's you know, the flaw. They can hang five on five. They can kind of get by. You know, there are teams like the Devils that are just younger and quicker than they are, and can make them look like idiots but they can hang. It's the second it's no longer 5 on 5. Whether they're on the power play, the penalty kill, overtime shootout, however that changes, and the talent level has to be, you know, off balance a little bit. All of a sudden they get swamped. And that's kind of where the losses have emerged. They the 2-1 overtime to Vegas, 5-4 overtime to uh, the Coyotes, 3-2 against the Avalanche and 2-1 uh beating the Devils there with the last four. And, you know, before that, you know, they did get beat by the Capitals pretty bad <laughs> earlier in the month. But 3 2 to the Devils, you know, 3 1 Islanders, is you know, they've had some close games, but you know, you look back to what they were doing early in the season where they were creating just enough to steal a few wins. Hart was playing well enough to hang you know, keep the team in there. But then once that started to dry up, you saw what you saw with the 10-game losing streak, and now they're kind of once again building back up. So I think it's only a matter of time for the scales shift once again, and they're getting blown out on a regular basis, and we have another long uh, long losing streak on our hands, just because they're playing a style of hockey that is simply unsustainable at this point.
2: Mm-hmm. I'm starting to see this team, they're kind of reminding me of some of the Blue Jackets teams that John Tortorella had back in the day, where they never really had all that much talent except for maybe a handful of years when they had Panarin and Duchesne and maybe a couple of other guys, but they always were a tough out. They were always an annoying team to play against. You knew they weren't going anywhere ever. You know, their Stanley cup was sweeping the Tampa Bay lightning in the first round a couple seasons ago. And they basically have a banner for that up at the nationwide arena. But, this team is kind of reminding me of that same style of play where they don't necessarily have the stars. They're keeping things within one goal all the time. Um, and you know, they're not that exciting to watch. They're still making mistakes, maybe relying too much on defense, but I don't blame John Tortorella for that, but I am seeing a similarity in like Look, if your goal is to become the Columbus Blue Jackets of the past seven years, then congratulations, Flyers, because you're well on your way. Uh, I don't think that should be the goal, but that kind of seems like they're pretty happy with it
1: so far. Yeah, I mean, they more or less are the Blue Jackets. They're a very hard-fought team with no talent to speak of. And it it kind of (laughs) begs the question, like, do they really need a rebuild, quote-unquote, you know, you could piss away the next five years trying to draft and hoping to whatever god you believe in that you know one of the one or two of these kids hits and you've got something. But what if you just add talent? What if you just bit the bullet, got rid of Kevin Hayes, got rid of Konechny and Fairbairn, cleared as much money as you can, and then went into free agent and snagged the two biggest names available, whether it's Larkin and Pasternak or Timo Mier, you know, whatever the case may be. I don't. If this team had a legitimate top line right now they may be winning some games because they're not playing bad hockey, but they just don't have the talent to compete. If they had players you can put out there in three on three OT, they may not be 0-7 right now. (laughs) Like you may be able to have been something. So do they really need to piss away more years and try and rebuild? Or do they just capitalize on this draft here in 2023, then go into the off season, hope that a few of these big stars make it there, do whatever they can do and make that happen.
2: Yeah, that's a good point, Dan. And I think what it boils down to as well is that they really needed to bring Tortorella in like maybe like two years from now or something, because he's doing all the things you need to do to establish the culture, establish the standard, get guys to prepare and to play consistent hockey. And that's fantastic. The problem is that they've kind of put put the cart before the horse, so to speak, Uh, and you're you're generating a really good group of of guys of of non-first line players second third and fourth line players and and defensemen that are second pair and third pair and that's great but how are you going to get those top level guys because you're sure as hell not going to win without them but you bring up a good point is if there is some way to do that without getting them in the draft it's very abnormal maybe it's possible If you bring in first line guys through free agency or trades, maybe package some draft picks, maybe you try to clear some salary cap space and just dump a ton of money into somebody. Um, I mean, that is potentially one way to skin a cat. It's really difficult to do it. Um, I don't think that Fletcher is the guy that's going to be able to maneuver for that, as we've mentioned on many shows in the past. But I do see some daylight to that uh, with with what John Tortorella is doing right now.
1: It's just, it we'll talk about Fletcher here in a little bit because apparently his clock is running out. Maybe we'll we shall see on that one, but I don't know. it's just you can draft, like I, and it goes back to to what we talked about in 2022. You know, oh, well, Gaudreau, we didn't need him, we didn't need him, we didn't need DeBrincat and all this stuff, and like, you know, I, I I'll hear both sides of the argument on that one. But imagine if they were here right now, if this team had Gaudreau and DeBrincat maybe they wouldn't, like, I think you could squeeze something out of this team. Yeah, maybe they're not a legit cup-caliber team, but they may as well be a playoff squad. Now, granted, your center depth is a piece of shit, which is the bigger problem, you know, but if you had a couple guys that were scoring regularly other than Travis Konechny, you know, I I don't know, maybe maybe there's this team is coached well enough that a few high-end guys could actually legitimately make a difference here.
2: Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you think that you know, we've obviously seen a lot of these one goal games. The team is making a lot of mistakes. Carter Hart is bailing them out for whatever reason. They're staying in games. I don't think a lot of the underlying numbers are that favorable to them right now, but do you see them hitting a wall at some point, whether that's, you know, on their West coast road trip, that's coming up at the end of the month here, or them just kind of tuning Tortorella out at some point, because I just don't know how long you can sustain this level of competition without any star players to carry you through tough times.
1: I think that's probably the biggest long-term storyline the Flyers are dealing with right now, is how long before they give up on Tortorella, right? And, you know, they came out of the gate very hot. They're playing a very good team style there. And then the losing started to happen, and then they fell off. And that, there's, I think they've kind of evened out now, where you're getting a lot of... You're getting the work ethic, but not necessarily the overachieving work ethic that we saw earlier in the year. So, you know, if this season's bad and, you know, all the players keep saying, oh, we hate losing. We're tired of losing. And I'm like, well, you fucking aren't playing like you want to win. But, you know, I don't know. I don't know how long they make it. I mean, AV made it a whole year and everybody loved him. And then whatever happened in the 2020 playoff bubble happened and they never trusted the guy again. You know, how long does Tortorella have demanding the best out of these guys when they're going to win? I think they're on pace for about 25 wins or something along those lines right now. So, Mm -hmm. you know, do can Tortorella continue to squeeze the best out of them? by the time, you know, late February (laughs) rolls around and going into next year, that'll definitely be probably the most interesting storyline is how long of a leash does Tortorilla have with these players who are notorious for giving up on coaches after just a little bit of time.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that kind of starts with a lot of the veteran players as well. And one guy that I wanted to get into was Kevin Hayes because against the Devils, he was apparently benched for the entire third period. Yes. And if I'm not mistaken, I think that's, is that his third time getting benched this season. It's at least his second, it's at least his second
1: was, and maybe his third
2: yeah. scam against the sharks that I think, um, he got benched at home game, uh, back in November. It was perhaps. And, uh, and then this game, and there may have been something else in there as well, but that's, that's a lot of benchings for, you know, for your star center in the first third of the season here. Um, I know that torts didn't get into details. He was asked about why he did that. Um, during his press conference, he said, I'm going to keep that in house. um, I think a lot of people did notice some really bad turnovers and some bad neutral zone play by Kevin Hayes in that devil's game. And I'm wondering, you know, I don't know what kind of standards he's holding these players to because on one hand it's like, okay, well he screwed up, but I don't, I don't necessarily know if you just want to flat out bench guys for making mistakes but maybe you bench him if there's if there's more to it. You know, for example, when the when the young guys come up, if they're making mistakes, Torts has said he's okay with it as long as they're playing in assertive style uh, and doing the things they're being told to by the coaches. But then you see these flagrant errors by veterans, and it's like, up, oh, you're out of the game for the third period. You screwed up. And I'm just having a hard time figuring out kind of where where the threshold is with all this.
1: I mean, Hayes leads the team in points. He's got 29 points in 31 games. You know, it's, you know he's leading over connecting right now. Connecting's over a point per game because he missed that a uh, bunch of time there. But, you know, he's your leading scorer and you're benching him. It, 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 he's such an interesting player in that sense because he's still producing offense. You know, he's not completely useless, but there are a lot of those brain dead moments he has, which, which you know, <laughs> the, the ugly turnovers. But. You see that, like, Konechny's got a bunch of ugly turnovers, too. Oh, yeah, and dumb penalties, dumb too. Yeah. K- Konechny, especially with the dumb penalties lately. You know, he tried to, he harassed Jack Hughes the entire game the other night and then boarded the shit out of him and was like, oh, you know, took these stupid penalties for what? You know, I, I, that drives me absolutely nuts. But yeah, I, I, I don't know what they're trying to achieve with Hayes, you know, what the end game there is, because he's producing. You know the mistakes are there, but I don't think it, you know they're worse than anybody else on this team at this point. You know, in terms of quantity, yeah. But yeah, I, I don't know what the uh, what the what the goal is. They're benching him, especially when he needs offense. A team like last night, when you're hanging on to a two-one lead for dear life in a game you theoretically going to win, you know, you should probably have him out there to produce, but. Yeah, I, I I don't know why he seems to be the scapegoat of this team more than anybody because you know, I mean I mean they kicked him off of center as well. He's not playing center anymore. He's on mm-hmm. the wing. They're forcing Noah Gates at center, which is a, you know, hit or miss proposition there. So, yeah, I, I don't know what uh what the you know, why why uh, Hayes is in the doghouse, but
2: uh it's so weird, Dan, because and I kind of go back to what Tortorella said during his initial press conference he had when he was hired which i think was like a a virtual one he was at his house yeah, he had yeah. like, a, like a piano in the background or something <laughs> but he was talking about kevin hayes and how he's like i don't know this guy but i see a lot of potential and i think i can squeeze more out of him i think i can raise his game that sort of thing and i'm wondering if if torts is just saying look i think that kevin is at you know this at level x and if he's not going to go to x times 2 then I'm gonna bench him and, and I'm gonna ride his ass if he's not gonna get there, even though Hayes level X is already above most of the players on this team. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm assuming that that's why he's doing that because you look at other players on this team and like one of the golden boys is Scott Lawton, who everybody loves. You know, he can play any position anywhere. He's here for a lifetime. And I see games like last night, and granted, Scott Lawton had a nice nice goal in the power play, I believe it was, but he was atrocious in his defensive He had defensive a really bad zone. turnover
1: a couple times there. Oh,
2: yeah. my God. No. He has, I mean, speaking of brain-dead plays, he does that a lot. And it shows with a player like him that while he can spot start up in the lineup, he really should be. Probably a fourth line center, maybe a third line wing if he has the right line mates. But, you know, a guy like him is is screwing up left and right, like horrendous plays on the ice, totally brain dead stuff. And it's just, oh, well, you know what? Nobody says a damn thing about it. And then when a guy like Kevin Hayes makes a bad play, then he's benched and people are over him. So it's just a weird standard to see. And, you know, like I said, I'm trying to I'm struggling to figure out exactly who's held to what.
1: Did Hayes play for Tortorella? Have their paths crossed before? No. I think so. No, he, he was... He uh, year before he left. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. yeah. So their paths haven't crossed before. So this isn't some, you know, leftover hatred there. Yeah, I, I don't know why Hayes has been the one getting the brunt of the benchings when, as you alluded to, Lawton had some real bad ones last night. Connecty's he's made some boneheaded defensive plays. You know, the, the, the forwards have been making all similar plays. Like... They, they showed the replay last night. what got Hayes benched and I'm like, that wasn't nearly as bad as the one Lawton had where he just gave yeah. the fuck to Jack Hughes. Yeah. And I'm like, so why is he paying the price for everybody? So maybe it is, you know, trying to get him to that next level, get him back to that 1920, you know, almost elite two-way guy that they had, mm-hmm. you know, that year. And he's not quite at that level yet, but he's also getting to that age where I don't know if he's ever going to reach that level again, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I don't really, I don't know what the, the, the ultimate message year for Hayes is, you know, trying to move forward here and get the most out of him when he's leading the team in points and has been, for the most part, no better or worse than anybody else.
2: Yeah, and he's limited. I, yeah. mean, I mean, Kevin Hayes is not a first-line center. He's probably not even a second-line he's center. He's probably
1: a high-end 3C at this point in his career. Yeah.
2: Exactly. Exactly. And if you're going to hold him to the expectation that he's going to do everything on the ice like a first-line center would do on a contending team then you're just sorely mistaken because he's he's a limited guy. I mean, there's a reason why a couple of years ago when he was, what, 27 years old as a free agent, that the Flyers were, for all intents and purposes, the only team that were interested in him. They, you know, they traded the pick to uh, Winnipeg to get his rights. There was no rumblings that any other team had any interest whatsoever. I mean, they paid him out the ass. Uh, so, you know, I don't think the rest of the league is actually seeing anything here out of kevin hayes where it's like oh yeah this guy is is one c and we can get that but i I guess torts is doing that by default i'm not sure i'm not sure it's still really perplexing
1: and it begs the question if he's one of the guys who you ultimately have to move contract-wise at the end of the year if you want to do anything going into the summer what does it look like when you're benching this guy (laughs) regularly because (laughs) he can't play hockey you know that's uh Probably not the best sales pitch there. Hey, here's a guy who uh, we don't trust to play hockey most of the time. Please take the last seven years of uh, the last three years of his seven million dollar contract off our hands, please.
2: <laughs> yeah, he's really highlighting some of the bad yeah. things about him.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, I still, don't, I, I'm still highly skeptical about whether or not another team is going to take that contract. I don't care if Kevin Hayes is a point per game player for this whole damn season. I don't think a team is going to be paying seven mil AAV for the next three seasons for Kevin Hayes. I mean, that is just unheard of. I mean, there's no team is going to carve out space for that. If a team's going to do that, they're going to go after a guy like a Bo Horvat. Yeah, probably, but they're not going to carve out such a substantial uh, portion of their, of their salary cap to bring in Kevin Hayes. Like, (laughs) like, it's just just not it. So I don't know. It's, it's it's really perplexing. I'm not sure, you know, we'll probably see it again. I bet we'll see Kevin Hayes benched again at some point in January. wouldn't surprise me at all.
1: Yeah. I'm sure we got more, more benchings coming ahead of us here. Um, you know, I don't know. Maybe he'll respond. Maybe we'll come up better and, and stop screwing up. But you know, I, I don't know. I, I just don't know what they're looking to accomplish singling him at, uh, singling him out as specifically as they have when it comes to this stuff. Um
2: but mm. yeah, it's a really weird mix because then you look at another guy like Cam York who just got called back up, had a really good game um against what was it? Uh Arizona?
1: I think his first few games have been good.
2: Yeah, yeah he's had a couple of good games and um and Torts had a really good quote Um, I think it was after the Jersey game or after the Arizona game where he said that um, the reason we sent him down was we asked him the question, when are you going to start trying to make a difference? Which I thought was such a cool way to phrase it where, yeah, like all Cam was kind of doing was just kind of, he had the skill just floating in the background and they needed him to play more assertive and to make that difference. And we've obviously seen that at least over the short term in the last couple games. And it seems like he's going to stick in the lineup.
1: You think so? What do you think happens when D'Angelo comes back?
2: Well, I mean, Torts was asked about that as well. Because uh, before the his jersey time game.
1: Yesterday. He ended up on the third pair with Nick Sealer. I did see that. He started with on minutes? the second pair. And then, uh,
2: How many minutes did he get, you think?
1: Uh, let's see here. Let's that up. Can but
2: can yeah, help? I did see that, Dan. That's interesting you brought that up. I did see that, that he was put down on that third pair, which you know, it's not very helpful for a guy like him. You need offense. I mean, you can't even get the puck in the damn
1: offensive zone. And he's one of the few guys that can actually create. He had a 1646 of ice time, which was by far the lowest of his four games that he's played.
2: Okay. Okay. That's yeah. I don't understand that. I mean, I really don't get they've that. They've been
1: riding Nick Sealer pretty goddamn hard this year, even though the fact I'm, 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 I'm over this guy, the little hot streak he was riding there is over. He was a <laughs> yeah. mess lately. But, you know, they've been riding this guy hot and heavy. York was still on the right side last night, which means they mm-hmm. still favor Sealer on the left. So when D'Angelo comes back and listen, this episode's probably gonna go up Sunday, so it's possible D'angelo comes back on Saturday tomorrow against the Rangers. so you know we' we're, we're we're preempting stuff here. But if not, he'll be back probably this week or after Christmas. But who knows, But what happens like do do they just send Cam York down? I'm gonna be fucking mm-hmm. livid if they send Cam York down again. Do they scratch <laughs> their beloved golden boy Nick Sealer, or you know who who sits in favor? Of you know D'Angelo returning,
2: yeah, I wouldn't want to see as much as I am in favor of giving guys a pretty heavy dose of the AHL. I don't necessarily like to see the flip-flopping back and forth on a York consistent just basis.
1: Need it. They like yeah. you know, as a phantom season takeover, I already see a lot and. You know, I, I was not thrilled when they sent him down the first time. I mean, like He was the best player down there. And it was so painfully obvious that he was good. He led the team in points when he got recalled. I think Forster has since passed him. But you know, he led the team in points. He was playing just everything there is to play. He's he he's at the point in his career where he needs NHL minutes. Like that that was my biggest complaint with him being in the HL. It's not doing any favor. Sure, he's getting a whole bunch of ice time and he's playing in all situations. But whatever. He's at the point in his career where it's time to transition. It's time to see NHL ice regularly. So you know, do they do that? And, and you know, what are they going to do? Sit Braun? Sit Ristolainen? Like I, I just York still feels very much like the odd man out when it comes to the current crop of prospect when Diemlo returns.
2: Mm. Who do you think York's best partner would be on this team? At least like, let's say, let's say that Torts makes the decision to say, look, we're leaving York in this lineup. We're not taking him out for at least the next month. Who would you put him with? Who do you think makes the most sense?
1: I Theoretically, I want him on the left side, his natural side, mm-hmm. but, you know, I don't think you're moving Provorov. You're not going to do anything with Sanheim, which means he's on the third pair, which means he's probably with you with Justin Braun. And like, I don't think Braun is bad, but he looks every bit of 35 years old this year. Like he is he's, yeah. he's slowed down tremendously compared to what he was even last year. So, I mean, if you if you're gonna force him on the right side, like you may as well put him with Provorov, right? You just give him the like. Mm-hmm. I thought they looked decent towards the end of last season together. Like it clearly isn't working with Sanheim. I think that was a disaster out of the gate and playing him on his, on his offside with York doesn't make any, or with a sealer rather doesn't make any fucking sense. So mm-hmm. theoretically, if you're going to force him on the right side, you may as well let him play with Provorov, but I don't know if that's a path they're going to go down. because their we're fine. pretty good up there. The last few games. So I don't yeah,
2: know. I'd agree with you, Dan. I I think that you really need to give York the opportunity to succeed. You can't, He's already played in the NHL like a good amount with some pretty crappy partners, 40
1: games or something like that now. Yeah,
2: yeah, he's yeah, he's got some time under his belt. You know, he's played with the Justin Bronze. Um, I think you really need to push him up with Provorov for a while. He needs a partner that can take care of himself, you know, and Ivan Provorov can do that, whereas a lot of other guys can't, whether it's offensively or defensively. And for all intents and purposes, I mean, risk to line in for as well as he's played with Provorov on the top pair, I would just put him back with Sandheim for the time being. I mean, those guys had decent success together in the past. There's no reason to try to squeak more out of either one of them right now. They're both here for the long term. Um, you know, they're locked in with these contracts and With D'Angelo out of the lineup, I mean, even if he's back in the lineup, I'd still give Cam York some preference with Ivan Provorov and see if they can establish something. Because those are those those may be your best skilled defensemen, honestly.
1: Yeah, I, I think far and away they're your best overall talent on the blue line. And D'Angelo really was not playing well there for the last couple weeks leading up to it. He came out of the gate hot. He looked good, but I mean, he's been a fucking mess as this team continues to, you know, boil in mediocrity there. So you could put him on the third pair with Sealer and use him specifically in offensive favorite minutes and let York play the overall heavier minutes um, up there with Provorov. Like,
2: yeah. I mean, what's the harm in that? You know, I mean, maybe I guess the harm is this. It's like, oh shit. Well, we can't you know, be in these, we may not be in these one goal games. There is a chance that the pair doesn't work or they have some hiccups and Cam York isn't completely ready for first pair of minutes yet. And they're so deathly afraid of, uh, you know, of getting down by a couple of goals because it just reeks of the past that they need to do everything possible to keep the games close. Even if that means just getting absolutely, you know, hemmed in your own defensive zone for 75% of the game. <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous, I, yeah, and it really is. And it it kind of goes back to that. Okay, you know, are we developing? Are we trying to win? Where do we go on that? And I know that Torts is trying to juggle it. He's been asked that question a lot, and he understands that there is a balance there that has to happen. Uh, but there's got to be a trigger point here. And I think we're getting damn close with Cam York because, you know, wrist alignment is not going to be your first pair on the right side. Travis Sanheim is not going up to the first pair anytime soon, as long as Proveroff is here. And there's nobody else on this team, aside from Cam York, that has any ability to do that. You're not getting a you know, Justin Braun or Nick Seeler or anybody else that's going to do that
1: what do you think their end game is playing all of the natural lefties on the right side they did it with <laughs> Zamula as well and now they're doing it with York they did it with York last season too why is their end game to have Provorov and Sanheim play one and two on the left side and eventually have York and Zamula in the lineup on the right side and have a sealer on the left. Now you have five left-shot defensemen and your only natural righty on the team is Ristalainen. That seems like a bad fucking plan right there. Like what what is why can they not play the prospects on their natural sides? What is it? Why is their favoring moving them to their off-wing? What's the point? I don't
2: know. I can't give you an answer on that. I think it's a great question though. It's maybe it boils down to that they just they like their players so much. They don't want to get rid of anybody. You know, they're afraid if they trade somebody, they're going to shine elsewhere. And they feel like, like Provorov and, and Sandheim are, are so good and so well established that we, that they're forbidden from changing from the left side to the right side. And that that's such a sure thing to have him there that we'd rather put our prospects at a disadvantage and put them behind the bar as they start their NHL career. <laughs> it, it is it is wild. It's absolutely wild. I mean, if these other guys are so strong and you think that, you know, Provorov is this Norris trophy candidate and Sanheim is a sought-after guy and can do it all, like, why don't you give the young guys a little bit of leeway here and let them play their natural fucking position? I agree with you, and I can't – and, like, you know – I can think of some wild theories sometimes, Dan, but I cannot for the life of me give you a straight answer as to why they're insisting. And it's been like this for years, like you said. I mean, this isn't a new thing. They have been absolutely reluctant. They have refused, refused to play Ivan Proverf or Travis Sanheim anywhere but on that left side. Absolutely crazy.
1: They're working the defense around those two. That's your one mm-hmm. and two lefty, and everybody else is just you know, at their mercy. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why? What is the point? What do you get out of doing that? But I don't know. And they're done. Like Noah Cates, they're forcing this guy to play center, and like he's the 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 underlying numbers of Cates are actually very well. Like he's playing hard, and they're forcing Hayes to play the wing. Why not just let the fucking kid play on his net? This is one of those big pet peeves in this sport that drives me nuts. Let the prospects play their natural positions, let them get established, and then change if you want them to down the road. Like, I I just don't understand why these left-handed defensemen are on the right side, your fucking wingers are playing center, just play them where the fuck you are supposed to be. Manny's here, everyone. <laughs> Manny's joining us. Hi, Manny, how you doing? Hi, everybody. I was just at a, a winter concert at my kid's school, and
0: suffice it to say, it was far more entertaining than watching the <laughs> Flyers on a daily basis, but it is what it is. How are you guys?
1: I'm oh, doing great, We're talking man. about uh, what happens to Cam York when Tony D'Angelo returns to the lineup.
0: Well, he should stay in the lineup. Yeah. But but at, the, <laughs> but at the same time, I heard the last part of your rant. But yeah, getting these young guys, it's hard enough for them to you know stick in the National Hockey League. So now you're asking them to stick in the National Hockey League and play a position that they're not familiar with.
1: Awesome development practice uh, with the Flyers. Yeah, I can't imagine why none of these fucking players develop. It's crazy.
2: It's a sacred cows. I mean, we're mentioning that. Why don't you take a guy? I mean, if Proveroff and Sandheim are so talented and they're locked in these contracts forever and they can do anything, they can do it all, why not put them on the right side at times? I mean, it's not like you're saving anything here. Who the hell cares? I mean, at least try it. I don't know why they won't try that. At least once, see how it works. Hey, if it fails, it fails. Doesn't matter. They've tried everything else.
1: Favoring Sealer. Fuck Sealer's been on the left side all season.
2: Oh, <laughs> Mull and horrible. York
1: have both been playing on the right. Like why? What? Listen, Provorov said, "Fine, you want them to be left." Oh, fine. Why are we protecting Nick Sealer at the cost of fucking up your prospects? Why? you. right. Had that enough.
2: breakaway against the Devils the other night out of the penalty box.
1: Oh yeah, great. <laughs>
2: It, it amounted
1: to absolutely nothing Nick fucking sealer this fucking guy <sighs> well he's here next year too right yep still under contract next year as well great so that's gonna
2: be a problem I, I it's gonna be a big problem you assume they lose Justin Brown and you're York in the fucking knows.
1: AHL for a full another year in the name of playing Nick sealer
2: yeah I mean if you can't beat out Nick sealer and then even if you do you're on the third pair so yeah you're just screwed, yep, and, and that's you're on why. Third
1: I... pair with Justin Braun and his 107 year old ass. Great.
0: And next year, forgive me if I'm wrong, but next year Nick Sealer's is a two way yes. deal, is yep. it not? This year it's a one way. Yeah. So are they afraid, like deathly afraid, that they're going to lose this guy to waivers? Like I don't understand what the problem is. He's a hot commodity, man. You can't lose him to. Oh, waver. I know. I mean, Joel Edmondson is uh, apparently gonna fetch a first round or a second round pick. Hmm. If only we had a defenseman whose contract was up that we could potentially dangle in the trade market. Oh, it's crazy.
2: If only yeah. the grace has shined upon yeah. us like that, huh? Yeah, an opportunity would never present itself like no, that. Oh <laughs>
1: no. <sighs>
2: <laughs> it wasn't even close. But I guess this comes down to too, is if you play this out more, if if Cam York ends up continuing his development and starts to really take hold in this lineup. Hopefully he does. That could lend some credence to this idea that Ivan Provorov might be traded in the offseason because then you'd have a Sanheim on the top pair or York if he he does well enough. Um, But I think that might be a natural transition into giving York those top four minutes if Provorov isn't here. Not that I necessarily want that, but it's something to kind of chew on.
1: It feels like The path in which they're going down here, and it was a can of worms I was really hoping they were going to avoid opening, you know, is is trading away Ivan Provorov. And, you know, if they give Cam York an obscene amount of minutes for the rest of the season and they just plop him up there on the top line next to Provorov and just, it's your team now, kid, you deal with it. I feel like I'd kind of be more comfortable with that if he gets sent down when D'Angelo comes back, so fucking help me God. But if they, they just keep in the HL season, trade Provorov and go, you're up, kid! Like, what are we doing there? You know, you need some level of trust in York to be able to step into that role. And he looks very good doing so. I really like what I see out of Kim York, both of the AHL and NHL. You know, but, man, he feels like a guy who would naturally replace Sandheim, not Provorov, but it seems like Provorov is the fate of, that they go down here and, like, I don't know. I, I He's probably your best trade ship, but do any of these shitheads in the front office, and we'll touch upon Fletcher here before this episode ends, um, but do you trust this team to deal Provorov and walk away with a net positive trade return for somebody like that in this current situation? I don't.
0: I don't either, but... Hearing you and Anthony DeMarco on Flyers AD, the, the, the last episode you guys did, he brought up the fact that everything kind of seems to be aligning where the natural guy to trade now is going to be Ivan Provorov. Yeah. And, I mean, I don't really like that at all, but it, I certainly agreed with that sentiment that that's what it looks like. They, they're they not trading Sanheim. They just signed the guy, and his deal is not kick in until next year. Nope. So they're not getting rid of him. Risto's here, whether we like it or not, and and I don't understand these fans that think that Danny Breer is going to come in here, wave a magic wand,
1: everything, and fixed. like yeah.
0: <laughs> and like three and like three contracts are going to disappear off this roster. Yeah. Like the cap's only going up one million next year, unless something happens and they and they go up, you know, four or five million with new revenue streams and whatnot. But I mean, listen, the NHL sold their soul. They hoard themselves out for helmet ads, uh, the bro, the board ads that move, the digital ads, jersey ads, this, that and the other thing. And the players still owe 70 million dollars yep. because of those COVID seasons that they played in the bubble. So the salary cap, whether we like it or not, is going to be at least a year away from from doing something. And going up a couple mil, that one million means nothing. Nope, it means nothing. absolutely yeah. nothing. So the Flyers are stuck, as far as I'm concerned, this year. They're they're not trading Hayes because there's going to be no market for it. Nobody can fit in seven million. Nobody can fit in Sandheim's deal. Nobody can fit in Provorov's deal.
1: Elliot Friedman was talking about that either this week or last week, whenever it was. The teams want to make moves. It's just nobody can. No, there are so few teams that have any cap space whatsoever, and the very few teams that do have cap space are charging an arm and a leg to fucking eat salary cap because they know they can, and that's mm-hmm. why you didn't see any movement last summer. You know, outside of Bjorkstrand and you know Brent Burns, like nobody fucking got traded. You know, there were no real efforts to clear cap from a lot of teams, despite the fact that I'm sure a lot of teams wanted to clear cap. You just can't do it. You know, the market is just not there. And if the cap stays low, and after that fucking Batman bullshit the last week, it sure sort of seems like it's not going up anytime soon, you know, <laughs> the Flyers are going to sit there and be fucked no matter who's in charge of this team. You can put fucking Steve Eisenman in charge of this front office this summer, and I still don't think they're going to move any of this money, just because the, 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 the league-wide landscape is not there to do so.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and going back to uh, Ivan Provorov for a second, too, and, and, you know, I'm trying to think of some of the things that... I dislike about him and like one thing, this is kind of a qualitative assessment, but one thing that does come to mind. And I think that, um, uh, I think that Russ joy may have been talking about this a little bit um, on his podcast with San Filippo and Terry. And, and it's that um, he seems like he's kind of hockey tired a lot. Like he, I don't feel like he's having a lot of fun out there. I don't, I don't necessarily like a lot of his mannerisms on the ice. Like when I've, Seen him play live and the camera's not on him. He's like just kind of staring off into space up at the rafters. Um, he just doesn't have—I don't know if you guys noticed that about him. He just is. I know he's kind of like that Russian machine, so to speak. But I don't get a lot of great vibes from from the way that he carries himself and in, in like his nonverbal and whatnot compared to what some other players do. Am I making that up?
1: I think he's tired. I think he's fed up. I think he's had enough. I think he's one of the guys that tried really hard for a really long time and just re... I mean, I touched upon this on the offseason as well, you know, after that press conference when he hurt everybody's feelings because he didn't get, you know, fall into all those baited questions. You know, like, Mm -hmm. the guy just... This was the guy who was crying on the bench in the 2018 postseason because he fucked up his shoulder and he wanted to win. You know, like, Mm -hmm. he... Works harder than everybody else. That's undisputed, you know. And I think there's a point where he hit a wall. He looks around and goes, "This team fucking sucks. This is a 25 win team. Why am I trying so hard if this team's going to win 25 games a season and miss the playoffs by 40 points?" You know, I think he has hit that wall. I think if they make that trade to a team like LA or Detroit or you know one of these young up and coming teams, he's going to look like a fucking different player. He's going to be a million bucks out there. You know, in the Flyers, instead of going out there and finding him a legitimate partner, which they've been trying to do for years, and time after time it fails, or in building a team around him, they're just like, ah, oh, fuck it, we'll move him and, you know, get something, well, a third-round pick back in return, and watch this guy go dominate elsewhere, because we're a bunch of jackasses that don't know how to build a hockey team. Like, that is the outcome that's going to happen here, whether we like it or not. I don't know why fans hate this guy. I, I never understood the hatred that's comes from Ivan Provorov haters of all the fucking people on this team to shit on constantly, it's like Hart and fucking Provorov, we're going to ignore Konechny and Sandheim and Hayes, all this bullshit, but no we're going to shit on Ivan Provorov mercilessly, I don't get it and considering
0: this is the season of, we want to see the team try hard, we want to see the team give effort who gives more effort and tries harder than Ivan Provorov but but he's the Lucas Sedlak yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean like I sell. Think, I think a big part of the frustration is he didn't live up to what many fans, including myself, thought he was gonna be. But that being said, he's still an indispensable part of this defense corps. Yeah. Like if you take him out and subtract him, who steps into that void? That's like the can, thing. Can you good. Him? Yeah, Cam York's good, and he's gonna grow and get better. And he eats minutes, but he doesn't eat the tough minutes that Ivan improved mm-hmm. a lot of. No. Like he he doesn't get that kind of deployment. And I I think that the thing that bothers me the most is everyone wants this top number one guy. Well, how do you get him? You balked at you know Dougie Hamilton a couple of, last year yep. or the year before, and it's through the draft. You had a chance at the draft to get a, you know, David Juracek and you didn't, you went with another winger again, winger, 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 winger. Yep. So where are you going to get this guy from? Like, I don't understand why fans are eager to throw this guy under the bus. And listen, he does have shortcomings. There's no question about it, but he's the best that we got. And in all likelihood, he's the best that we're going to have for a little while. Like unless yeah. we use our our first round pick this year and get a defenseman, and I don't think that there's even a defenseman on the board until about literally six or seven, and they're not game changing defensemen like Kale McCarr or Adam Fox or any of these guys that Flyer fans slobber all over. So we're not going to get that guy. But yeah, we're going to throw the guy that we do have, and instead of getting him, you know, the best possible. Pieces to, to actually work and, and make this team work and get him to Where he needs to be he's never going to get to Where he really the fans want Him to be at but he's still An important part of this team yeah I don't know if you can get the value for him That you could have
1: you know three four years Ago and as long as Jacob yeah, Chikrin that... Hasn't been traded yet you know you still Don't even know what that top left-handed market Is set at you know what what mm-hmm. happened? And all we heard about the chicken rumors so far Was you know oh well Edmonton Wants him but they don't want to give up Dylan Holloway Or, you know, Ottawa wants him, but they don't want to give up Shane Pinto or and shit like that. You know, it's always this team wants him, but they don't want to pay a premium for him. You know, they just want him. And it's like, especially if that Prover of Dominoes falls before Chickren, you know, set the market real out of the gate, then they really get fucked. Like, I, I, I don't understand moving him in a time when the league is so stifled and then what is their internal plan to replace the guy other than just throw Cam York into the fire here and hope that he pans out? It just feels like such a shit situation when in reality, all you could have done, you know, was not resign Sandheim, Sanheim, flip him at the deadline for assets, and then thrown Cam York comfortably into a second pair all behind Provorov. Like, that made so much more sense, but... <sighs> and
0: then, just to quickly jump in, so based on what you guys were saying about Cam York playing the offside, playing the right side... yeah. If Cam York is that good that they can afford to just throw him on the right side, if he's if his trajectory is that he's going to be better than Provorov and that he's going to replace Provorov anyway, why don't you just keep Provorov and move fucking Provorov over? Like Mike was saying earlier, if he's going to supplant Provorov and you've always needed that right-hand guy, you know what? It sucks, Ivan, but you got to play the offside. Too bad. You know yeah. what? We, we can't have you on the second pair. He'd
2: be fine doing it anyway. I'm sure he's talented enough yeah, to handle sure he'd that. Be fine. Yeah.
0: And if the team's <laughs> winning, I'm sure he'd be damn fine
1: with it.
2: Well, I think the thing with the Proveroff trade is that, and you guys bring up a really good point in, in terms of value, is that the Flyers have him as their number one guy, and he's basically indispensable. But if he goes to another team, another team is almost certainly not going to put him in that kind of position because I don't know if he can carry a defense. So what they're going to do is bring in Provorov as that supplemental player where he doesn't have to be the guy. There's going to be a defenseman on that team. That's probably better than Provorov and everybody knows it and everybody's good with that. So that's where he slots in. If that is where the slot is, then the team is not going to give like their best center away Because they don't have that same value. There's that constant, it's just incongruent. And it'd be very, very rare to find a situation where you're going to get back that kind of player that the Flyers expect. Um, I just don't see another team doing it. Now he is on a pretty good contract, I guess. What does he have? Another three years, three I years think. At 6.7 at six point seven or something
1: like that. Yeah, yeah.
2: Which is good. I mean, that's pretty solid. Um, you know, that's a nice cap um hit. It's a very low cap hit for his player, for that kind of caliber player. Um, it's something that a team might be able to swallow even in a stagnant cap era. Um, but again, I just don't see the valuation happening. And certainly this front office is, is nowhere near going to be able to execute something like that.
1: Yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't understand how this is the path they came to determine is the right move here, but Holy fuck trading prover just uh, I, people may not like him and, and you know, he may not be the true elite number one that we had all hoped for. And you know, we're told he was going to be, but at the end of the day, you take him off of this team that's substantially worse than they are now and you know maybe depending on how they handle York the rest of the season maybe he looks good and can handle the role but Sanheim can't there's no fucking way you can throw Sanheim into the role that I'm plays and expect anything good to happen it's not gonna work you know York is good but is he that good is that the kind of player that York is I don't think so. is probably not going to be that good. You know, I think he'll be a solid third pair guy in time, but that's not him. Adderd's a righty. So they'll probably come up, I'll call him up and play him on the left side just to be (laughs) fucking assholes about it. But like, I don't know. I I, I don't understand how you can sit here and have this kind of conversation that we are and come to the conclusion that, yes, trading Provrov is the best thing for the fate of this franchise. Just, God, that's dumb. Why not just find him a partner? Why not just fucking whatever? Been on this rant a hundred times already. See, and then you you trade them,
0: and this is a classic case of buyer's remorse and trader's remorse. So you trade him to the L.A. Kings, and they're gonna they're gonna throw them on on uh, Drew Doughty's yeah. pairing because Drew Doughty pairs the, uh, plays the right side. Yep, that's an awesome pairing right there. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, it's really good. It's yep. that. and then in return. Let's say the Flyers even go after, and I know they're never going to trade this guy. But a Quentin Byfield type of guy, a guy who's not in the NHL right now. So you're going to get a guy who's really hyped, but hasn't really amounted to anything yet. And this is a classic case of if Ivan Provorov succeeds with Drew Doughty riding shotgun, and then Quentin Byfield kind of sputters here in Philadelphia... This is going to be talked about for freaking five years on how this organization mm-hmm. shouldn't have traded them and this and that. And we gave up on them too early and this and that. And the like wrong trade. Yeah. Oh, like <clears throat> it just, you're setting yourself up for a really bad trade.
2: Yeah. I don't know if, if Fletcher, well, hopefully Fletcher's not the one that's even going to attempt to do that. But yeah, I mean, I could see potentially that happening. I also, you know, if I look at it from a high level, if I had to guess, I would say that if Chuck Fletcher is here to try to execute this, he's going to be looking for more of a typical hockey trade of an NHL-ready guy that has some experience, maybe around the same age as Provorov, some guy in his you know 26, 27, 28 years old with a couple of years left on a contract. There's you know it's probably a lot of guys like that. I haven't really looked at rosters yet to try to find somebody, but um, yeah, it's kind of needle in a haystack work, and unless you're on the phones other GMs, I guess. But um, my guess is that they would veer in that direction and not towards that high-end, younger guy that isn't NHL-proven ready. But at the end of the day, I wouldn't be against that, but you got to
1: hit on it. <laughs> That's the <Right>. thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you walk away in this situation with a net positive via trade, whether it be on the current roster or, or the trade itself. I, it's just, this was a can of worms that I was hoping they would avoid, but nope. We're going to apparently dive right into it this summer for some ungodly reason, probably because it makes no sense. And that's the only thing this organization knows how to do these days is dumb shit like that. So
2: if they did execute it, it'd be in the offseason, not at the trade deadline, right? because it's too big yeah. of a contract. Yeah.
0: So I just thought up a question for you, gentlemen. What would garner a bigger return? A Travis Sandheim if he was a, a free agent, pending free agent at the trade deadline. Or a month before the deadline, or an Ivan Provorov trade right now? Because they're both at almost the same money. Half a million difference. That's an interesting question.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting like, what question. Would get,
0: what would get you the better return? I kind of think Sandheim would get you the better. Sandheim, for sure, you're getting the first rounder, and you're going to get something else.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah.
0: Provorov...
1: <sighs> you don't know what you're going to get out of Provorov.
2: Well, the thing is, yeah. is that... If it's if it's going to be done at the trade deadline, there's value in Sanheim's. Well, his previous flexibility not being tied up and that there's a nugget there that teams like Um, if he had like one year left, which would have been good maybe last season to think about this, then it increases it even more. Because you still get that extra year, but it's not like you're tied down forever. That would have been the real sweet spot here. But I think with Provorov's years remaining and just the generally higher cap hit, I think that's more of a barrier on him in terms of movability. And I think that actually would would play to his detriment in terms of being moved. But I might kind of lean towards Sanheim here. I, I might agree with you guys on that. I
1: think Sanheim as an... In- Pending UFA at the trade deadline, you could have got a first, and you probably could have got something extra. Provorov, with time on his contract and all this money, in the current scene that the NHL is in, is probably you know a first round pick or that equivalent of a, a you know prospect already, and something else probably not that high. Like it, it, it's probably a wash at the end of the day. But Sanheim would have been the much easier one to move because his contract's up, and you could have moved him at the trade deadline. But fuck, Here. we had to sign him for eight years.
2: Here's one creative way that you might be able to actually have more value in Provorov is, but it would assume that the team would be willing to take a step back in order to take a step forward. And this is what I mean by that is if you were to use Provorov and say, look, we know he's got all this money here. Give us your shittiest contracts. We'll take all that on. But in exchange, we want to get all these first round picks and great prospects. And you know, you play that game, you play that long game. If you played the long game with a Provorov trade, I think that would actually far surpass Sanheim. Problem is management wouldn't do that. Another GM might if you're you know, like Kyle Dubas or one of the more you know, progressive type of general managers. Yeah, I mean, you might say, hey, hey, you know what? You have $7 million worth of atrocious contracts. Give them to us. We'll take them. We'll give you Ivan Proveroff. But we're going to want, you know, the two first round picks you have this year, plus your best prospect or two. Uh, and, and that's how you start to build that snowball up. Um, and I think that might be where the value for Provorov comes in if a general manager were to utilize that kind of thought process.
0: Yeah, I mean, the long game is a great game to play, but I don't think Chuck Fletcher knows any game that has more rules than freaking Connect Four. Yeah, <laughs> Like, I don't, I don't, know, I hungry, don't know. Hungry, hungry hippos. Just, yeah, just hit the button, Chuck. Hit the button. <laughs> but, like, you go into this trade deadline, and it, 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 we keep going back to this Sandheim deal, but The the players that we keep hearing about are John Klingberg, because apparently Anaheim's going to deal him. And he's a $7 million player. That kind of scares me. Then you hear Joel Edmondson out of Montreal. And there's people out of Montreal saying that it's a second or even a first round draft pick to get Joel Edmondson. And Joel, like, that's what the hockey news guys were talking about on their podcast. And it's like if that's the price for Joel Edmondson, like if you're Philadelphia, you sit there and you go, "Uh, Travis Sanheim here, yeah. <laughs> whatever you're going to give for Joel Edmondson, you can give a little bit more and get the better player with the you know more attractive, you know, everything, better skater, everything. You can just go out and get him right now. And he's got a cheaper cap hit than John Klingberg and Klingberg's on a really shitty Anaheim team. Anyways, you don't want to absorb that cap hit. You want. Travis Sandheim, but nope, Mm -hmm. couldn't do it. Had to trip over yourself to sign that guy.
2: Wouldn't even consider thinking about it.
1: Nope. No, No, they had to do it on opening day and tie their hands. Didn't even take the time to see what the market would have been for the guy.
2: Well, I don't even think, you know, if you look at the trade deadline, you know, obviously we're not going to be able to do anything with Sandheim now because of that fucking contract. And Provorov's probably off the table as well just due to the amount of money that he's owed a number of years and those deals don't get – those contracts aren't traded at the trade deadline. So what are we looking at? Are we looking at like the Justin Braun's and Justin JVRs?
1: Braun, uh, Zach McEwen, maybe Lucas Sedlak, and if you're fucking lucky, JVR. But that that's it. Those are your only options. And that's what? Maybe a fourth-round pick for each of them if you're at absolute most. You know, and brutal. then you
2: question whether they even do it. You know, is that even worth it? If they've established this great culture and these guys are contributing to these one goal Lucas games, said, like
1: it's so critical that we just we can't trade them. Yeah, we just need them. Yeah. I mean, seven year yeah, extension our, coming this summer.
2: Are a couple fourth and fifth round picks even worth it to disrupt a roster that apparently has reached the goal that the organization set for them in September? I don't know. Probably well, not. Freaking... <laughs>
1: This was the title of the last episode, a couple of episodes ago, but disgustingly low standards is what we're at (laughs) these days.
2: Yes, absolutely (laughs) right. Yeah, it's The bar is so low that the analysis we have to do is like so far below grade that it's like, okay, well, if they're hitting that, then, you know, what happens there? But if you look at other, the average NHL team would move past these things and, you know, have, have more momentum to get these guys out, but... I don't know what what this team actually values anymore so it's hard to you know actually discern what they're going to do.
1: No idea. No idea what they're looking to keep and <sighs> This is so stupid. Every time we do these shows it just get sad and realize just <laughs> how shitty this team is. Oh, we damn. don't gloss over things, so that's
2: that's part of the
1: <laughs> part of the
2: issue. Is if you if if you dig deep enough, you figure out there's nowhere to go.
1: Shit is ugly to the core. Yeah. <laughs> and on that cheery note, everyone, up, we'll wrap up wrap uh, up this first episode here. <laughs> um, let's see, it's going up on Sunday, so we got Shane through the week. I'm going to try and get Anthony back before Christmas. Then we got the Christmas show that'll be up on Christmas Eve. Can't wait. Uh, I think it was the last episode we're technically recording before that one hits the airwaves. Um, there you go. Last time we heard Dan the Flyer fan alive. And uh, at Dan the Flyer fan, at Brotherly Puck, at Brotherly Underscore Pod. Check out the website, BrotherlyPuck.com. All kinds of fun shit up there that everyone yelled at me for all week long. Um, people apparently don't want to offer Sheet Call Caulfield. Well, I found that out the hard way. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Mike, where can people find you on Twitter?
2: You can find me on Twitter at flyer underscore a F starting to watch a little bit more games and live tweeting. So uh, look out for all of my commentary uh, coming up. I'm going to be at the Rangers game on Saturday. This will be up uh, probably after that, but um, I'll be in a suite with a friend of mine. So you won't see me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Manny.
0: At Manny Benavidez and brotherly pucked up. Mike, make sure you bring a a, a case of uh, rotten eggs. If you are within uh, throwing distance of the uh, front office's box, that might uh, get their attention. But uh, remember, kids, uh, he knows when you've been sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. And if you've been bad, rest assured there'll be a pair of Flyers tickets in your stocking come Christmas
1: morning. If you've been bad, you'll get an eight-year extension coming your way. $70 million. (laughs) 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 All right, everyone. Until next time, goodbye and good nights.